uh, Asia Minor here, the seven churches. I, I do not hold, and I could be proven wrong, I don't think I am, but I could be, because I'm good at being wrong. Um, I excel at it. I, I don't really hold to the view of a church age viewpoint. I believe these were literal churches in literal times. And I know, I think Schofield was pretty big. I don't know who else came along with the whole church age theory. And people, you'll hear this. Well, we live in the Laodicean church age. Um, number one, that's pretty hopeless. But number two, um, I, I, I don't, when you start to come to the book of Revelation and, and begin to look at it figuratively, uh, well, it's really you open yourself up to be the arbiter of truth. But um, I, I just don't think it's, it, it's, a, it's written literally. I mean, it's, these are actual churches that were written to. And I believe that we can be any one of these churches. You know, it's, it's not just a church age or so. And so I, I don't really hold to that, that viewpoint of a church age. But I want to look at one of the churches in here and uh, <clears throat> within the own culture that we live in today, and I was looking at this, I was thinking about the election last night, kind of another disappointing election. I mean, when you think about it on the larger scheme, uh, Massachusetts got the first lesbian governor, and that's, that's interesting. Uh, my sister, well, anyway, I have family that live up there that were interested. They thought this was, anyway, Massachusetts... <laughs> Right, first lesbian governor. Minnesota elected their first trans, their first trans uh, uh, state representative. Our wonderful state of Missouri has legalized marijuana for personal use. Uh, we're going to rue the day that we did that. Uh, can I tell you, 88,000 people or more a year die from alcohol. 88,000 a year have been dying from alcohol for years on top of years on years. And somebody said this to me once. Well, well, obviously, you know, there, there's not as many problems with marijuana as there is with alcohol. And, I, and my immediate thought was, well, duh, it hasn't been legalized for 80 years. Wait till marijuana is legal for 80 years and see what the statistics look like before you make those times. I mean, I'm sorry, it shrinks your brain. It kills your brain. It kills brain cells. And I mean, I don't know. I In, in my, uh, in my uh, conspiracy theory side of me, I think what better opportunity for a government to control people if we're all brain dead i mean that's just great and they you know how it is we get tax money off of it and they're all so wonder so excited about the tax revenues and things like that many have been driven to the polls this time because strangely we we heard all of these things about you know red waves and this and that and tsunamis and all these type of things but many were driven to the polls because they did not want the dismemberment and murder of babies to end and it drove them to the poles, all right? And so we, we are living in this culture, whether we like it or not, right? We're, we're living in this culture. And uh, I, I guess what comes to mind next is, well, how do we thrive in this culture? Is it possible to thrive in this culture? You know, most of us uh, only know <clears throat> in America during a time that was... Uh, very advantageous, very very helpful to the gospel, and it is quickly quickly changing, and uh, 
And before we get too discouraged, uh, I, I think there's something I want to look at here tonight. And I want to look at the church of Pergamos. The church of Pergamos in Revelation chapter 12. I want to look at or, or tap, chapter 2. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, And unto the angel, the messenger, I believe the pastor, of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them. I mean, is that not an Ozark phraseology right there? I like that. Thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Bubba, who taught Balak to cast a stone. Bubba's not in there. I, I added that. Who, <laughs> who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou, uh, thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat in the, of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone. And in that stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Father, would you bless your word tonight? Would you teach us by your Holy Spirit? Would you uh, strengthen us, encourage us, equip us for the society we live in, that we might continue with, with, with boldness and assurance to uh, preach the gospel, the good news that, that, yes, man is dead in their sins and trespasses and sins and separate from God, but Jesus, the blood of Christ, the good news is that we can be reconciled back to you again. And Father, you pray you'd, I'm praying you'd help us tonight to encourage us and uh, to keep moving forward with what you've given us to do. You said, occupy till I come. And I pray you'd help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember, <clears throat> we had two churches before the church of Pergamos here. We have the church at Ephesus, which was really a, it was a, was a great church. And they had all of the machinery, right? All the mechanics of religion were working there, but they had left their first love. And what a danger that is for us to leave our first love. And uh, we can do a lot of the things right uh, but without without uh, the heart and the love that we used to do them. And then he moved on to the church of Smyrna. And it says that Jesus was before all and after all and the one who conquered death. In Ephesus, Jesus is the one that holds the pastors and he walks with them in the midst of his churches. And uh, we see that there. And if if you re, uh, it's, it's it's been some time uh, since we've ever looked at this. But uh, you see here the the. The description of the Lord Jesus Christ in the first two churches and the church of Pergamos and all of the seven churches, the description of Jesus in each one of these churches, the description of Jesus, the characteristic of Jesus is, is actually what the answer for is the actually the answer for the church's condition and the problem that they need solved. The, the need of the church, let me say it this way, was found in Jesus. And he and he explained uh, which characteristic is of himself that they needed. And, and, and the point was, there is the ability for victory. Victory. You like that thumping? That's pretty good, huh? Oof. 
So what is it about Jesus, the sharp two-edged sword, that helps this church at Pergamos survive and thrive? What is it about that sharp two-edged sword that Jesus said, the characteristic of the Lord Jesus, that if he's in the midst of his church where he ought to be, they can have victory. What does it mean for us? How does it help us? to have victory where we are living in the society that we are living. I want to, I want to look, number one, at the testimony of Pergamos. It was a Greco-Roman uh, city. It was under Roman rule, just like Smyrna and Ephesus was all under the Roman Empire. And today, Pergamos is a small village on the island of Cyprus, about 1,100 people or so. One of the, on, on uh, Cyprus, the, the, I think they call it about the third largest island in the Mediterranean Sea. And Jesus starts out here in verse 12, again, under the angel. Uh, this isn't a real angel, Peter Ruckman. Uh, this is the angel of the church, I believe, the messenger of the church, and Pergamos. And look what he says. He starts right off in, in verse 13. I know thy works. I know thy works. And so far, Jesus had said the same thing to the, to the last two churches, Ephesus and Smyrna. I know thy works. I know thy works. I know thy works. And it does come to reason, doesn't it? That the one who is walking in the midst of his churches knows everything about each church that is his. And, and it, this applies to us tonight, doesn't it? Jesus knows exactly what's going on at Crimson Avenue Baptist Church. He's walking among his churches and he is well aware of the works, the works, what are the works of Crimson Avenue Baptist Church? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He's well aware of our works. Are we even working? He knows that. He knows the extent of our works. He knows the faithfulness of our works. He knows <clears throat> how, how serious we take the work that has been given unto the church. Remember, the gospel, the Great Commission is given to the church. That is us. We're a member of this church. And he knows the works of Crimson Avenue Baptist Church. He knows the works here of the church at Pergamos. And he goes on to say, and I know where you dwell. You see, the, the spiritual condition of Pergamos was so bad that Jesus even said that it was the seat of Satan. Do you see this here? Look at verse uh, 13. I know thy works and, and where thou dwellest. Jesus says, I'm well aware of the culture you're living in. I am well aware of what you're up against. I am well aware of the things that you are fighting against. I, I know what Pergamos is like where you dwell, even, namely, specifically, where Satan's seat is. This is a bad city. If somebody says, yeah, Satan dwells over there, <laughs> that's pretty bad, right? He says, I know where it, where, where it is. This was a bad place. Pergamos was known for the festival of Bacchus. It was, it was just, uh, uh, just hedonistic. Just the debauchery was unbelievable. It was a pagan religious festival of alcohol and lust. It, you, know, you never notice how those go together? It's amazing, right? And essentially what would happen is the attendees would drink themselves into an absolute drunken frenzy and all morals would be set aside. And I was thinking about that and I'm like, kind of describes the average college campus, doesn't it? From what I understand, what I've been, what I hear, what I've been told, it just places campuses of total debauchery. And these festivals, though, these, it's just not a cultural thing. Watch this. These festivals were actually a part of their religion 
as well as their culture. This was like going to church. You know what? Well, come on, kids. It's Sunday. Get in the car. Yep, here's your alcohol. Here's yours. Here's yours. Start drinking now, right? We're going to church. Could you? I mean, it's just bizarre. It really is. And this is what Satan does. This is what Satan does. And what he does with religion and things like that. Jesus is saying this, I know what you have to endure to stay pure. Can I tell you, our culture is increasingly getting to the place for the believer that we have to endure to stay pure. It used to be easier. You used to, it used to be less to battle. I, I mean, before internet, I mean, it, you really had to work to get in trouble. All right. You had to really, you had to really, I mean, to, I mean, there, there were some things you, you probably could go buy. I mean, you could buy cigarettes when you're like 10 at a certain time, but I mean, alcohol was still harder to get maybe than it is today. I don't know. There's so much thing that, that are out there for people to, to delve into and get a hold of. And uh, the, the endurance that we have to go to, to stay pure and to stay holy. Jesus says, I know it. I understand that. I do. And he goes on to say this, I know your faithfulness. In spite of the culture, in spite of what they're fighting with, he says, I I know your faithfulness. Look at this. And that thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. What have they done? They've just kept on preaching Jesus. They haven't denied the faith. They They haven't turned away. Apostasy hadn't shown up there at the church at Pergamos. They were still preaching that Jesus is the only way to the Father. He said, you have held my name fast. But can I tell you this tonight? Their faithfulness came at a great, great cost. It really did. They were living in a really bad place. Good place to probably point this out tonight. And we know this. This is nothing new. But living godly is always going to cost something. It is. It's not easy. It's a joyful life. <laughs> the world doesn't understand that joy. Right? They, they're like, you're happy and you're not drunk? <laughs> you're, you're having a good time and you're not on drugs? You're having a good time and you haven't been with, you know, you know this person and that person? And that you, you're having a good time staying at home? And you actually got around a piano and sang hymns? That's weird. It's like, I don't know. It's kind of fun. I like it. Right? We were going on a vacation one time. And our oldest daughter worked at a bank. And uh, we were going to a wedding in South Dakota. And she said the, the, the ladies at work were teasing her, saying, so I bet you guys are just going to sing hymns the whole way to South Dakota. And she goes, yeah, actually, we probably will. They were just looked at her real weird. Like, well, yeah, you end up singing sometime on the trip eventually, right? And uh, I thought that was kind of funny. And the world looks at that and go, how is that fun? I don't know. I can, we can have a lot of fun with Jesus and nothing else. I love that. But it's going to cost you something. It really is. The faithful, uh, faithfulness of Pergamos led, led, led to some uh, pretty big trials. Pretty big trials. 
even to the point of persecution, even to the point of martyrdom. Look at this in verse uh, 13. Even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. There really is not much historically written about Antipas from what I can tell. Some people do believe that he was the pastor of the church at Pergamos. And, uh, was, but we know this, he was martyred. And he, he, listen, even if there's not much known about him historically, even if there's not a lot for us to know about him, the best thing is, is that Jesus knew him. Jesus knew him. Hey, he, he says, I, I know this. Look at this. Even in the days where Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. Yeah. This is a tough place. I don't know about you, but I don't think there's been a pastor yet in America who's really been martyred. Like, like the government comes down and drags them out and hacks the head off and says, okay, now knock it off. Yeah. It never works. There's a man working at our house uh, from Ukraine. And he's been here 25 years. And he's a Christian. And he talked about uh, the government would come in and, and uh, break up churches. And he remembers those days. And he said, uh, the youth, they said, there's a youth activity. Think about this, young people. There is a youth activity. Younger people. You're not real young. There was a youth activity and they went to a, uh, they, he said they would got down into this valley and there's two big mountains and they'd get down there. And he says there was 5,000 youth just worshiping God and, and the whole youth activity. And the government came and they're sitting up on the hillside and they began to yell down telling them to disperse and they wouldn't. And he said they would, just, they would just sing louder and he said then they'd start firing at them. And he said this, he said in persecution you go into the valleys. He did, what he meant was geographically under persecution, it takes you down. You just, you have to get down to the valley so you can get, you hide what he's saying. And I thought, wow, what, a, what an application, what a spiritual application. When persecution comes, it sends you into the valleys. And uh, he didn't even realize, I don't think what he said there. But listen, persecution, we, we don't understand that really. If you remember, the Romans believed that Caesar was divine. They believed that he was divinity and it was, it was required of citizens to confess at times his deity. And Pergamos was the first city in the Roman Empire to actually build a temple to Caesar. And when the Christians would be rounded up in that area, they would be made to confess the deity of Caesar. They were to say that, that, that Caesar is God and Caesar is first. But those Christians would reply and say, no, Jesus is God. Jesus is God, not Caesar. Jesus is God. And so they would round them up and, and just the, this horrible torment would follow them everywhere they went. They'd be brought into coliseums and fed to wild animals. Pastors would be made to sit and watch their church members tortured in front of their eyes. I, I, I had heard not too long ago how they would... Uh, some of these pastors, they would take the pastor and they would take the most skilled archer and they would fire 20 to 40 arrows into this pastor strategically not to kill him until finally they would do a heart shot and kill him, but just to torment him. No, this is what our brethren lived through. We know nothing of this. Nothing at all. This is exactly what they, what they lived through. And, and, they, and they embraced it. They embraced it. You can read about it. 
They say Christian young ladies were rounded up and they would tie them at their ankles and they would, they would drag them to these crosses and they would, they would hoist them up on these crosses upside down. And, and, and history says that their, their, their long robes and their long hair would hang down and they would light them at the bottom and then they would burn them at the stake that way. This is what they lived through or died doing. This is what life looked like living in the Roman Empire as a Christian. This is what Pergamus from history, we can see some evidence. This is what Pergamus looked like. This is what the church of Pergamus was living through. And although Jesus commends this church, their culture took their toll on them as well. Look at verse 14. But I have a few things against thee. Thirdly, we see the temptation of Pergamos. Two things he notices here. He says, I have a few things against thee. A few things here, not two things. Number one, the doctrine of Balaam. Look at this. But I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. And you can go back and you can look in Numbers chapter 22 and you can remember when Israel was coming up and, and, the, and, the, and, uh, and uh, Balak uh, saw them, was nervous about this, uh, this, uh, uh, this sea of people coming up out of Egypt and he, and he hired Balaam to curse them. And of course, you know what happens. He couldn't every time he tried to. He blessed them and Balaam could get mad and mad and mad. And, mad. and finally, at a place, at a time, uh, Balaam says, tell you what, here's how you do it. Many Midianite women. Yeah. Fornication. And things like that. Uh, uh, eating the wrong foods. You're going to go over to Psalm 106. The Psalm, or 106, maybe 109. The psalmist talks about the Israelites who are eating food, sacrificed to idols. Numbers 31, uh, they had to finally, Moses had to come in and, and, uh, and uh, drop the law on these that were going out marrying the Midianite women. What was going on here? What was the, how were they, how were they being overtaken there? Well, uh, food, uh, fornication. Uh, let me say it this way, flesh. Flesh. Jesus is telling the church at Pergamos here, I have a few things against thee because thou hast hold, thou, thou that hold the doctrine, doctrine of Balaam. What do, you, what do you do? You're living, you're allowing the culture, watch, the Midianite culture, all of the, you're allowing the culture of your day to dictate your life. You are living like the world lives. You're living in the flesh like the culture around you is living. I don't think there, 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 there is some, there's nothing more distasteful, I think, to the world that is outside of the Lord Jesus Christ than to look unto those that are supposedly in Christ who are living just like them. There's a word for that. It's called hypocrisy. We all battle that, don't we? Because we still live in the flesh. And we still battle the flesh. Nobody in here, we don't want to be a hypocrite, right? And we battle that. But this was an, a, a successful attack on God's people. It was focused on the flesh. Now if you would, you could juxtapose this with the culture 
that they're living in, the debauchery, the decadence of their society, it was having an effect on this church. Yeah. Worldliness was creeping in. And obviously it wasn't being dealt with. It was being allowed to, it was being allowed to carry on. They were drifting from truth. Don't we see it in, our, in, in America today? Don't we see it in our churches today? Churches that are no different than the bar or the nightclub. Okay, they may not have the alcohol. I don't know if that's even true anymore either. We remember we went to a wedding one time. Of course, it was, it was a Catholic church. And uh, they had uh, they had the they had the spigot going, all the alcohol there, and I'm like, it was like, it was like a permanent fixture. It wasn't brought in for a wedding. It was like it was there all the time. I'm like, oh my word! I always heard the stories. It, it's it's really true. Yeah, I have a guy I work with, and he says, yeah, my wife and I tried out this church, but it was kind of, it was kind of dark. It was a dark feeling. Said so like a club, yeah, kind of like a club. They're doing that. Why do they do that? Probably because the people are still in the bar and the nightclub. Probably because they haven't come out of it. Right? Watch. The church of Pergamos was giving into the flesh. They were being driven by the flesh in food and drink and, let me just say this, in lust. The lust of the flesh. How are we any different today? I mean, isn't that our culture today? Isn't that our society today? Really, it's all around us. It absolutely is. See, watch. Satan may not be able to get us with doctrine. You know, we're biblicists. We believe the Bible, right? You're not going to get us off on doctrinal things, but he's, he really does a really good job of getting at the flesh, doesn't he? So the doctrine of Balaam was infiltrating the church. Secondly, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Nico means to conquer. Laetin is speaking to the people. means to conquer the people. Arrhenius speaks of Nicholas, who was chosen as a deacon in Acts chapter 6. You can go back and see that sometime. He had some pagan roots. So obviously, he didn't separate from those roots. And it, and, and it was believed that there was no, he, that he thought there was no reason really to leave his paganism. And it was said that they lived unrestrained lives of indulgence. These Nicolaitans. He amassed followers. They became a sect that believed that man can freely partake in sin because the law of God is no longer binding. There's another big word if you want to write it down, antinomianism. Don't ask me to spell it. Good grief. I don't know. A-N-T-I. Oh, no, no, the law. The, the law's done away. So essentially what that comes down to is we can live how we want. Yeah. I don't know if you notice this, but Jesus had commends the church of Ephesus for hating the deeds of the Nicolaitans. That was one of the positives of the church. But here in, here in Pergamos, it's taken root. It's taken root here. What's happened to this church? The culture seeped in. Yep. The culture seeped into the church and now it's showing up and they are drifting towards the fleshly appetites of the world. That's what they're doing. So here's the ultimatum that Jesus gives in verse 16. Repent or else. Repent or else I will come to thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my 
mouth. Repent, right? You, you've been living with a certain uh, uh, corpus of information, a certain body of information. It's wrong. Here is truth. What does repent mean? Turn from this body of truth that you're believing to this body of truth. Believe it and it will change the way you live eventually. Repent, turn and go the other direction. Or else what? I'll come quickly. I'll fight against you with the word of my mouth. I will confront you with the word of God. I'll confront you with the word. But I want you to notice this. If repentance does come, I love this, because God gives a promise. He doesn't just say, okay, you better knock it off. He says, if you do, I'm going to do something. If you'll repent, watch this, verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone. And in that stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. To the overcomer. Watch. To the one who resists the influence of the, of the culture around them. To the one who resists the, 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 this, this massive tide of flesh that is all around us that we have to uh, navigate through. The one who resists living according to the dictates of their flesh and the one who, who chooses to live uh, in the spirit and walking in the spirit rather than the flesh. To that overcomer, he says, I'm going to give hidden manna. Well, manna was sustenance, wasn't it? Every day. It was, it was physical food that they ate. It was, it was miraculous sustenance. It was, it was something that came down for only a period of time. And once they got into the promised land, there was no more need for it. And it stopped. But it was miraculous. And the bigger thing, it was sustenance. Their food. Food. Number two, he's going to give them something else. You ready? A white stone. Now, this one's pretty interesting. There's, there's a lot of different ideas on this. I, I wrote a few down here. I may pronounce it wrong. The tessera or tessera, whatever, however it is. It was a token or a ticket that gives access to events. Some people said that's kind of what it was. Within the court system, here's a second idea. Within the court system, if somebody went on trial, the jury would cast either a black stone for guilt or a white stone for innocence. There is a third option here, the, uh, the amulet or a charm for sorcery. A charm for sorcery. It's probably not it. Here's a fourth idea, the Urim and the Thummim. Remember, they would uh, put that on and the high priest would seek the will of God. There would be a black or an onyx stone and then a white stone. And, and uh, he'd put that on when he needed to hear from God. I used to hear preaching that they would light up. I, that's a, I, I don't know if there's any proof for for. A, like an early light bright thing going off and, you know, things like that. But anyway, but uh, some believe that in the same way with the Urim and the Thummim, that the white stone with the believer's name was written on it, it could be a reference to our standing in God's presence. There's a problem with these four. The Tessera, or the Tessera, whatever it is, uh, that didn't have to be white. Didn't have to be. Kind of puts that on the back burner. Maybe we'll wait on that one a little bit. With the court system, it didn't have to have a name inscri- didn't have a name inscribed on it. 
So we'll put that one aside. Maybe come look at it later. The third one to the charms. Well, Christians wouldn't use charms for sorcery, right? The Urim and the Thummim probably might be one of the better theories out there. But when you think about faithfulness and the obstacles that the church at Pergamos was having, I kind of think there's maybe a better explanation. You know, Rome was known, and of course, with Greek and the, and the Olympic Games, they were known uh, for their athletic games in the Roman Empire. And Paul uses the, the imagery of games quite often. He uses the imagery of boxing, you know, it talks about boxing and beating in the air, you know, the pointlessness of just uh, hitting the air that doesn't accomplish much at all, Right. And uh, so he uses these as illustrations quite a bit. And, and now in, in these games, when somebody won an event, when they won, say, the Olympic game, and uh, they were given a white stone with their name engraved on it like you would a trophy. And it served as a ticket as well from, somewhat, from what some say, uh, that it served also as a ticket to a special awards banquet. But it was also said that this white stone with the name engraved on it, some say it gave access to the treasury at Rome if they ever, for some reason, ran out of funds and needed some money. Kind of interesting. I know this, it was a great reward for the victor, whatever it was. It was a reward for those who preserved, who made it through the games, or the obstacles, and they came out a winner. It was a great reward for those. Kind of a little bit of a neat symbolism. Don't we have access to the treasury of heaven tonight? Oh, not just money, though that's part of it. See, God just drops money down. Oh, yeah, you should come out at our place. Just drops out of the trees. <laughs> yeah. All sorts of we have all sorts of access to the treasure of heaven. So it's kind of interesting here. It was a reward. It was a special reward. Jesus said, if you overcome, if you overcome, yeah, I, 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 am, I am going to give you hidden manna and I'm going to give you a white stone with your name engraved on it. Why? Because you're victorious. You know what this kind of implies, right? The victory is possible. How twisted would God be if he offered you a reward that he knew you could never get? That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Almost, almost on the sadistic side, actually. Something I would come up for a cat. I'd be like, okay, kitty, if you can bark, I'll give you this. You know, And uh, I would never give it to him. I would show him that mouse and never give it to him. You know? So, yeah. I don't know where these things come out of my head. Okay, don't, don't ask. Pergamus was a church. Pergamus was a church that was slipping into worldliness due to the depraved society around them. They were struggling. Not doctrinally, they were struggling. It was so depraved that, Satan, that Jesus said, Satan, Satan lives here. 
I'm pretty sure Satan does have an apartment in Washington, D.C. I'm pretty sure he does. But Jesus said he lives here at Pergamos. Right. Indicative of how bad it is. But from the prize available, victory was possible. But does the text tell us how victory is possible? Think about this. Does the text tell us how it's possible? Remember how Jesus introduced himself to this church? Look at verse 12 again, would you please? And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he, which hath a sharp sword with two edges. Does that remind you of anything at all? Amen. Amen. What is it? Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into the dividing asunder of what? The, the, the joints and marrow, the soul and the spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Isn't it amazing? You can read the Bible and it begins to reveal your heart. It begins to, it begins to convict you of things that nobody knows about. Why? Because it's quick. What does that word quick mean? Not that it's fast. It means it's alive. The word quick means alive. It's, it's alive and it's powerful. And it divides and it discerns. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Pergamos, they live in a really bad culture. They, have, they still have doctrine. They're, they're, still, they're still true to the word of God. They're still preaching Jesus Christ. But, but the culture is seeping in and they're beginning to live like the world and live like the flesh. And they're beginning to, 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 uh, to, to fall away from holiness and, and, and living a holy, uh, separate, godly life. And so what is the answer that Jesus has? He says, of course, he is the answer, amen? He's always the answer. But what is, what is it about Jesus that is the answer for victory? And the same thing for us tonight. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's that hidden manna that strengthens the believer in times of temptation and trial. Thy word have I hid in my heart, David said in Psalm 119, that I might not sin against thee. Yeah. Job said, I need thy word more than my necessary food. Think about that. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3, we've been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Where is it? We have it in the word of God. The word of God. Let me ask you tonight. I mean, come on. Yeah. Our, our head is not in the sand. Right. We know what we're living in. We're, we're not Pollyannas here and just think that everything's going to be wonderful. And, you know, there, there's some erroneous doctrine out there that believes that the, the world is actually going to get better before Jesus comes. <laughs> like re, that revival, that revival is going to sweep through the world before he comes. Uh, yeah. Friend, it, it's going to get worse. You want to know how bad it's going to get? When it says that the love of many shall wax cold. If, 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 you, if you look at um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, blasphemers. It goes on to that list. It's talking about believers. Not the world. It's talking about believers. So how bad's the world? Right? 
we're living we're living in a tough time it's it's we can't deny it it's not hopeless i don't believe that people are still coming to christ people are still getting saved the gospel still works let me ask you that is the world getting to you is it getting maybe it's seeping in more than you thought it would have you ever looked back 20 years ago some have some don't 25 years ago 30 years ago watch and you look in your personal life and you go wow i really drifted no i know there's some things that we may have lived a certain way and you realize okay maybe that wasn't as necessary as i thought it was you know but boy there's just this drift a drift seems like the world's gotten maybe an upper hand The answer to the Pergamos and the answer to us tonight is just stay in the book. I've been convicted about this lately. I really have. I don't read enough. Am I supposed to say that? Oops. I get fired. No. (laughs) No, there was times in my life I read the Bible more than I do now. Sorry. It's just fact. You know, it's amazing. I mean, life comes in, busyness comes, you know, you're reading the Bible, you're studying, you're all these. But, you know, there, there was a day when you might when I might have just sat down just to just for the love of reading and being with the Lord. And and, and just, the, you know, the mechanics can get involved. And, and, and then eventually it just, I mean, it just finds it less and less and less and less. You know, you'll, you'll see the correlation is you're living more and more and more in the flesh. And the world is getting an advantage more and more and more over you. And you don't even like it. Right? Stay in the book. Read it. Memorize it. How many of you used to have three by five cards? You'd write your verses down and they took them everywhere. They'd be on your dashboard so you couldn't see your speedometer. That's a good way to get out of a speed. I'm like, whoa. Officer, I'm memorizing the Word of God. I didn't even know I was going 104, right? It doesn't work. But anyway, and you shouldn't do that anyway. But, <laughs> I mean, but yeah, I mean, we had cards, you know, you had cards, you had things written down, you're memorizing things. I mean, my goodness. You know, one of our biggest problems are today in our culture is just distraction. Yep. If I get out of bed, I have got to tell myself, I don't need the phone this morning. Until I'm done with this. Because it is, you know what I'll do? It's a little flashlight. You pick it up and you're like, oh, I'll put it over here. And before you know it, you're checking email, you're checking this, you're checking that. You're doing just wasted half of your morning. And it was, and it is, it is a absolute, you can't define it any other way but a waste. And the only commodity that you, you don't ever get back again. I mean, I mean, time is running out. If you feel like you've been overwhelmed by the world, by our culture, listen, we can rise above that. We can live above that. We can live victoriously in the midst of it all. We, we, can, we can be swimming with sharks and alligators all around us without fear if we just stay in the book, stay in the Word of God. Keep running the race. Why? Because there's rewards at the end of it. Right? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. 
Wherefore, seeing we're compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run the race with patience, the, uh, run with patience the race that is set before us. How do we do that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith, for who the joy that is set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down the right hand of the Father. Looking unto Jesus. Here he is. Here he is. It may be that you don't have a problem at all in the world with, with being in your Bible, with memorizing, with meditating, meditating on the Word. Oh, we need to meditate on it. Yeah. Those endings in the book of Psalms where it says, uh, Selah. I know those are musical terms. That some, some have said that that means uh, like, a, like a chew on this. You know, to, like, like a cow would chew the cud. Ugh, just, or just a piece of gum. Yeah, just how about that? Just chew on it. May God help us to get back into the Word of God. Hey, you know what? Even if everything's been good, you can still read more. I mean, can you really go wrong with reading too much of the Word of God? Can you, go, can you really go wrong with having too much memorized? I don't think so. We can be victorious. Absolutely, in spite of our culture. May God help us tonight to be students of the Word of God, to be lovers of His Word, to be readers of His Word, to be memorizers of a Word, meditating on them. May God help us to do that. Father, thank you tonight for this little reminder here of the church Pergamos. They had it maybe, obviously, harder than we even do today. I mean, we're living in an awful culture, but I mean... We're, our government's not dragging pastors out and killing them. That happened. So, Father, would you help us to look to your word, to strengthen us for that hidden manna in, the, in this debased culture that we live in, that we'd rise up victorious, that we'd have the joy of the Lord. Lord, that we'd be able to continue on and be ready and just uh, able to do what you'd have us to do. I always think of those disciples there on preaching at Pentecost. I believe it was. And the Bible says they took note of them. They were ignorant men, but the listeners took note of them that they had been with Jesus. May that be said about us. Would you do that work in us tonight? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight if you would. and You just need to spend a little time with the Lord. It'll be a good time to do it. Invitation's open. You can pray right where you are. Maybe you need to ask the Lord just to help you to remove any distractions that have come into life and have taken focus off of His Word. The entrance of thy Word, the Bible says, giveth light. So you know what happens when we, when we get immersed in the Word of God and we begin to meditate on the Word of God and memorize the Word of God. We begin to live the Word of God. We ought to. Yeah.
Amen. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer tonight. Just be praying for those that aren't able to be here tonight. Went through all those requests earlier. So, um, Charles and Geraldine Strong are in their 